You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. Today's podcast episode is following the New York Jets' 31-21 victory in Denver. The Jets travel across the country to play in Mile High Stadium against the Broncos, who aren't a rival of the Jets, but at this point with everything that's happened, Sean Payton's comments in the offseason about Nathaniel Hackett and his coaching job previously last year with the Broncos, Sean Payton said it was one of the worst head coaching jobs in the history of the NFL by Nathaniel Hackett, and you know he took it personally, the players took it personally, and a lot of us fans took it personally. I personally didn't have much of a gripe against Sean Payton coming into this thing this whole season, other than the fact that like the Broncos traded picks to get a coach that I didn't think was a value add enough to give up the assets they did. But then when you start putting our team's coaches' names in your mouth and saying bad things about them, you become the enemy. So we circled this game, we get in there, we get the win, and it feels really good. And on top of that, the Jets win their second game of the season. Instead of dropping to 1-4, and four, a possibly detrimental record, especially losing to the Denver Broncos, a very beatable team. The Jets come out 2-3. and three. They're kind of in the playoff picture again, at least in the mix. They're showing a little bit of spice, a little bit of feist, and we're happy to see it. So we've got a good podcast coming up today. This one is going to break down that game through coaching, offense, defense, and special teams. We're also going to do some team news. And believe it or not, I'm recording this podcast without having received a father time. I am under the expectation that it will come. But... At this point in time, I am not sure. 
If it doesn't, we'll pivot to a what's on tap. If it does, we'll do a, a live reading of it to hear what my dad's thoughts are on the Jets this week. So that's what we're going to do for this one. I'm going to do another podcast coming out Thursday morning that's going to review or preview the Eagles matchup upcoming. So look for that one. This one's going to be talking about current news on the Denver Broncos game. Make sure to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It's part of the Fans First Sports Network. And also follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. All right, let's get into this thing. we got to start with the bad because there was a lot of good in this game, but there is one horrible dark cloud hanging over the team. And it's the AVT just tore his Achilles and he's out for the season. Two years in a row, AVT suffers in a season-ending injury against the Denver Broncos. Last year it was in week seven. This year it's in week five. And he is absolutely the Jets' most reliable and versatile and just best overall offensive lineman. He was a great, you know, all-pro level right guard. But then when Dwayne Brown goes out and the Jets have to do some moving of the offensive line, the best option they have is to slide Elijah Vera Tucker out to a totally different position and play right tackle midseason, which most players can't do. We've seen Elijah Vera Tucker slide around the offensive line and do whatever the Jets need basically to be the problem solver when it's like, shit, how do we make this thing work? How do we piece this thing together to give us a chance? Okay, AVT is willing to go basically anywhere on the offensive line, and he'll do it at a high level. And we lose that guy, we lose that band-aid and that flexibility. I think that the the saving grace is that we're very pleased with Joe Tittman and what he's done. And the Jets have put together a decent amount of depth at the tackle positions. And maybe they're not great players, but there are options at least. So hopefully the Jets can navigate this thing. But losing your best offensive lineman and a guy that can do as much as he can do is never good. That's a really tough one. I hope that he's... 100% ready for next season. I think that he's 24, 25 years old, so he should be able to recover decently decently fast, but he just went through a season-long rehab of torn tri- triceps. Now he's doing a season-long recovery of a torn Achilles. feel bad for the guy. feel bad for the team. I feel bad for Zach Wilson, Nathaniel Hackett, everybody on that offense that's trying to work this thing, and it's just becoming harder and harder every week. But they got the win this week. ABT had a good game for what he played, and uh, the Jets will find a way to work through that. Other news, the Jets are currently shopping Mecole Hardman. According to reports, it looks like they're trying to see what they can get for him. Mecole Hardman was signed for the Jets for like $4 million and was supposed to be kind of a punt return, kick return, and then like end-around specialist. And it's basically a role we've seen done by Xavier Gibson through the majority of this season. Nicole Hardman doesn't offer a lot on special teams in the coverage side of things, and there's other wide receivers that are doing a better job there. So his role's kind of being weaned out. And I think it's interesting because we haven't really given him a chance. We haven't really given him the ball at all, seen it in his hands to see what he can do for this offense, if he can be electric and help manufacture some yardage and some points. But the Jets have elected to go other directions on the offensive side of the ball, so Nicole Hardman's kind of the odd man out in the offensive scheme. Therefore, why not see what you can get for him before the trade deadline? You look at some of the playmakers that have been traded recently, like Cam Akers, Chase Claypool. Van Jefferson was just traded, and it's basically that player is close to being cut, so it ends up being a late-round pick swap in 2025. Maybe you're trading the player in a seventh for a sixth two years from now. You're not getting a lot back. The Jets aren't going to be getting a third-round or fourth-round pick. They won't even get a fifth-round pick. They're going to look for a sixth or a seventh or a pick swap and just get something instead of cutting him or not using him. Other news, DJ Reed, he was a 
out this week with a concussion. He should be coming back. Those things he's um, usually just kind of worked themselves out in about a week or two. He wasn't able to play in this game, but I think he's going to be good, so that's huge for the Jets' defense. And then just like seeing Mekhi Becton banged up is news to me because he's not seriously injured, but we saw him leave the game like two, three times, and it's happened a few times this year where it's like, is he banged up? And your heart kind of drops because you know that it could be over for him or it could be a long, lingering, multi-week injury. He keeps coming back out, but you can tell that he's on the brink of something happening there. I think the bye week coming up in two weeks is going to be helpful for him. But we got to see Mekhi Becton kind of stay healthy and get stronger and a little bit more confident in his body. Moving on past notes, the coaching side of things. Got to talk about Hackett. Hackett gets the game ball from the New York Jets. He gets the game ball from me, from all of us, because it was a big point of conversation in the offseason was one that, like, why would a coach say that about another coach? But two, just bringing Nathaniel Hackett's coaching failure in Denver up again and making everybody just point to, like, well, it was a really bad season. It's like, why is this even being talked about right now? He's the offensive coordinator for Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. That's behind him. Yes, there's failures in the league all the time. There have been teams that have been 0-16. His team wasn't one of them. But to see him go out there and do enough coaching, you know, a couple nice play calls, definitely on third down, to see him do that and just beat Sean Payton and show that he's got a bit with, you know, Zach Wilson versus Russell. But you're not talking about Aaron Rodgers versus Russell Wilson. You're talking about Nathaniel Hackett made Zach Wilson look better than Sean Payton could make Russell Wilson look in Denver, which is awesome. And I don't think that Hackett was perfect in this game. A couple issues that I had were in the gold zone, as he calls it, or the red zone. We couldn't really punch it in. We kicked five field goals in this one, so a lot of three-point Scores, not a lot of touchdowns. I would like to see us get into the end zone more. Also, we didn't get points before the half, which kind of sucked. The clock management there wasn't great. He had some issues in Denver last year with clock management, so you hope it's not something that's going to continue. But other than that, I think that he called a pretty good game overall. Like I said, third downs were good. And most importantly, this one with Nathaniel Hackett, he got the ball in his playmaker's hands at times like Tyler Conklin and Garrett Wilson, but he pounded the rock. And the Broncos had the worst rush defense in the league. They still do after playing the Jets. And the goal was like to go in there, make it easy on Zach Wilson. Maybe it wouldn't be an electric, massive performance where we dominate that team, but beat that team. And the Jets did, relying on Brees Hall, the offensive line, the running game, and the weaknesses and shortcomings of that Denver Broncos team. And you can really see that Nathaniel Hackett understood that because that 72-yard touchdown run by Brees Hall was the very first play the Jets had on offense in the second half. So you know that he's taken all the little things he's seen on the Microsoft surface and talking to people like, where are we getting our openings? What can we do? Where can we exploit this team from what we've seen so far? And he dials that thing up right away, comes out of the half, scores a touchdown, see you later, Brees Hall, gets that big-time run he needs, and the Jets take the lead in this one. They didn't look back after that. And it wasn't just that one big run. There were like four, five, six opportunities that Brees Hall could have broken Literally like a 50-yard touchdown. And a lot of that credit goes to Brees Hall, absolutely. But when you watch those plays back and you see the blocking by Titmans and the tight ends and Nick Bauden and the receivers downfield and, and Connor McGovern and Tomlinson looking the best that they have all year, you're like, this was working really, really well, and the schemes made sense and the holes were supposed to be there. That was manufactured, not lucky. So great job by Nathaniel Hackett. Glad we got this win. Good offensive performance. I mean, we put up 31 total points. Yeah, we got a safety, a defensive touchdown as well. But 31 points always feels nice. Love to punch it in the end zone. 
five field goals, too many to me. But they'll get that stuff down. They got to get a little bit more comfortable down there. I think they will. Brees isn't really like a goal line running back. So I think that, you know, the guys are a little bit more bunched together. And he doesn't have that room to really like accelerate and break free down the field. He's like a big game, big play type of guy. Not necessarily a specialty closer to the goal line. We'll see how the Jets navigate that in the coming weeks. So that's the coaching, at least the stuff that I want to talk about in this one. Um, Offensively, Zach Wilson did, he did what we'd hoped for. It was a solid game. It was a step down skill and and showcase-wise from what he did against the Chiefs, but it was a massive step up from what we saw against the Patriots. And the Broncos are no really difficult defense to play against, but they did get a couple defensive players back in this one. And we are playing in Denver. And you know Sean Payton wanted to beat this team, and it is Zach Wilson, right? But Zach Wilson overall, 199 passing yards. The most impressive thing, 73% completion percentage. These are numbers that he was unable to ever get to his rookie season or last year. It wasn't a great quarterback rating because he had no touchdowns in that pick. He sacked four times, but it was like a solid game. It was a 78 quarterback rating, 73% accuracy, picked up third downs, got the ball in his players' hands, hit a couple really nice throws, one, two really nice outs to Garrett Wilson on the left side of the field, two really nice Tyler Conklin throws in the middle of the field, and it was enough to win the game. He didn't have to put the team on his back. He shouldn't have put the team on his back because we could run the ball in this game and just do a couple third down pickups here and there and win, and that's what the Jets did. So that's what you want to see from him. It doesn't really give us the thumbs up or thumbs down in terms of like, what are we going to see for the rest of the year? I still think that his floor is really freaking low. I think it's higher than it used to be, but it's still really low. And his ceiling is probably a little higher than it used to be. But he's not going to hit that all the time. It's going to be ups and downs. And as long as he can just navigate well enough, pick up third downs, use his legs a little bit, and not make really stupid plays, the Jets are going to have some chances to win some games, just like we saw here. When you look at the running backs, Brees Hall, he's the player of the game on offense, right? Absolutely. 22 carries for 177 yards. Picked up a touchdown. The guy had 100 rushing yards, even if you took out a 72-yard run to the house. He was close to breaking five, six massive plays. He's averaging over seven yards per run this season with not the best offensive line in the league. And a lot of teams that know they can stack the box against the Jets, he's getting it done. Coming off an Achilles or an ACL, rather, it's extremely impressive what he's doing. And if he keeps playing like this, we are going to see some massive running back numbers. And I said it to uh, my dad and roommate Kyle when we were watching the game this weekend. I was like, the Jets have never had a running back like this in my entire life. We've always had a good running team, right? We had Thomas Joneses and Freeman McNeils and Curtis Martins. It's always been a good running team. We never had that home run hitter that could just at any moment break free. Leon Washington maybe could do those big plays, but it didn't happen all that often. He wasn't really used in the offense anywhere near as frequently as Brees Hall is. You know, Chris Johnson was there for a year. Tomlinson was there at the very end of his career. Brees Hall offers a level of flashiness to that running game and the ability to just break the game open at any point that is so exciting to watch and... He's awesome. Just another great Jets running back in the history of amazing Jets running backs. Welcome to the list. Love that kid. Dalvin Cook, six rushes, 23 yards. A lot of people getting on him for not being what we paid for, what we thought we were going to get. I think he was solid. There were a couple plays that he ran for like 
one yard where the offensive lineman actually fell at his feet. Not his fault. Got tripped up by those guys. But overall, like, he picked up a couple big first downs in this one. I thought he ran pretty tough overall, got positive yardage when we needed it, and helped win this game. I mean, we had 234 rushing yards. 26 of them go to Zach Wilson on three runs. Eight go to Michael Carter on his only run. Great running game. Holy smokes, that was fun. Looking at the receivers and tight ends in this game, the tight ends were much more efficient. Tyler Conklin was the best receiving player in this game. Four catches for 67 yards, and two of them really stand out. Those two plays down the middle of the field. One was like a 17-yard pickup. And then at the end of the game, that 37-yarder where he banged down the field for literally 17 additional yards after first contact. And good on the Jets getting down there to help push him forward. But that guy loves contact, loves thrashing his body forward, getting every single rumbling, thumping yard he can get. It's awesome to see in the tight ends. That's the way you like to see your tight ends play. Tyler Conklin, four catches, 67 yards. He's having a really good season. He's like the 13th or 14th most yards of any tight end in the league right now. And he's getting better and better every week. And he's got a role in this team, and we know what it is. And other teams don't want to go up against it. Not a guy that's that physical. And you got C.J. Uzoma, two catches, 12 yards. He's actually been blocking a little bit better the last few weeks, so I had a lot of issues week one, week two. He's grading out better in terms of his blocking. He's getting a little bit more involved in the offense here. So you've got Tyler Conklin, C.J. Uzoma, Jeremy Rucker, who's getting better every week, it seems like. It's really nice to have this tight end core. I love the group they got there. Love the tight ends. The receivers are not having nearly as much luck right now. Garrett Wilson is obviously the most talented one, but he only got three catches in this game for 54 yards. Targeted seven times, but not getting a ton of opportunities. Made a couple really nice, impressive catches, one sliding down on the sideline. Like, man, this guy just makes it work. He's playing well, just not getting as many opportunities I'm sure he'd like, but he is uh, he's making them count. Alan Lazard is the other guy that's making his impact felt in that wide receiver room in the passing game. Three catches for 33 yards in this one. It's not massive numbers, but he is the guy that's showing up because when you compare that to like a Randall Cobb, a Mecole Hardman, a Xavier Gibson, you're not getting anything from those guys in the receiving game. And Zach Wilson's throwing, you know, under 200 yards a lot. Not very often he's throwing 250, never 300 yards. So there's not a ton to go around. But the wide receivers so far have been quiet, and without Garrett Wilson, it's really just Ben Lazard. Then looking at that offensive line, it's getting better. The Broncos was an easy task, absolutely. A team that you want to run against. A team that you're not super worried about coming after your quarterback too, too much. But the offensive line is getting better. And I think the biggest reason for that is Joe Tittman is doing amazing things. He's getting downfield. He's sealing blocks. He's doing it, pivoting to the left, to the right, getting downfield, holding his ground, picking up assignments and switches. I've really, really liked what I've seen from Joe Tittman. He is becoming a stud before our eyes. Every single week I see him make a couple blocks on some big runs. And when you look back at Brees Hall's biggest runs in this game, and you're like, man, that was a big, nice 15-yard pickup. I wonder who got that thing open. Usually Joe Tittman, when you look back, is doing something awesome on those plays. He's not the only guy. It's a team effort. It's not just blocking one guy to get a big play. But Tittman's doing good things in all of them. Mekhi Becton is still making mistakes every single week. He's getting penalties. He's letting guys through here and there. But he makes up for a lot of those mistakes by being a big, powerful, bruising force that isn't burned all that often and is out there playing healthy better than anybody else we could possibly be playing at left tackle this season. I think that Lakin Tomlinson is getting a little bit more comfortable in our offense as having 
his best games, maybe the last two weeks are his best games that I've seen him play in a long time for this Jets team. So that's good to see. And the question becomes now with AVT going on to IR and being out for the season, who's the next man up? You would think naturally it would be Mekhi Becton stays on the left, Max Mitchell goes to the right and plays right tackle. But Dwayne Brown is coming back and this week, next week, very soon, and he only plays left tackle. Carter Warren is a rookie we drafted in the mid-rounds this year out of Pittsburgh. Truly kind of a left tackle. We'll see if they can switch him over to right tackle at all, but that makes another left tackle you could potentially play. So do you consider moving Mackay back to right in a situation? And then Billy Turner, who can play left or right. We don't know how well at either one at this point in his career, but we're going to see what uh, what the Jets elect to do. I would imagine this week is going to be a lot of Max Mitchell, and then moving forward, the Jets will have the option to either move Mackay Becton back to the right and put a natural left tackle at left in Dwayne Brown or Carter Warren, or try to get Billy Turner in there to replace Max Mitchell if he can't do the job. At least they have options. At least there's names that you know and have heard. Some are young, some are old, but you've got some options. So that is the offensive line. Now, before we go over to the defensive side, I don't have a father time in yet, so I am going to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little What's On Tap. That is right, folks. This is a pivot to the What's On Tap because I didn't know if I would be getting a father time in the middle of my podcast recording from my dad. I haven't gotten anything yet. No problem. He's a busy guy working today, of course, and I'm drinking a beer. So let's do What's On Tap. And this is actually a pretty fun one because I bought these beers a while back because they make sense for the Jets. And there would be a moment in time when it would be perfect to drink it for a What's On Tap for this podcast. But it had been many weeks since the Jets won. The Jets haven't really been, quote unquote, taking flight the way we'd like them to. But this week against the Broncos, they did. The Jets took flight. And so I'm drinking a flight by Yingling. It is a 4.2%, just really, really light beer. It's the Yingling version of like a Michelob Ultra. And I like it because it's super light. If you're liking those low-calorie water beers, I think this one's pretty good. It's got maybe a little bit more goldeny flavor than uh, some of the other light beers. And I certainly think it's the best Yingling product. I don't typically like Yingling beers or their flavors, but this one is not so bad. And the name is Flight. And that's why you get it, because the Jets take flight. And when they do, we drink flight. And it happened. So here we are, drinking something light. A 4.2% Yingling Flight. That is this week's What's on Tap. Now, before I go to the defense and the special teams, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Live. We've talked news, coaching, and offense. Now it's time to take a look at the defensive side of the ball, where the Jets had another very, very nice performance. It starts in that defensive front and that defensive line. And when you look at it, I see four guys that have really separated themselves from the rest of the pack. We came into this year with like nine, ten defensive linemen on the active roster, and we couldn't cut any of them because we had way too many big-name guys. We draft a Will McDonald, and Carl Lawson's coming back from injury, and we're bringing in the two guys from the Seahawks, and 
Zali Thomas is back in the mix. But there are four guys who have separated themselves as the elite defensive linemen of this group, and that's John Franklin Myers, who makes good plays every single week and has a great bull rush, great against the run, and still has some decent athleticism and speed for that power and can play inside and outside, so just like a great player to have on that defensive line. Then you've got Jermaine Johnson, who's winning more and more in the past game, is pretty good against the run, and makes these plays like this week, a strip sack against Russell Wilson, just running him down with that speed, just like we saw him do against Josh Allen last year. Great plays from Jermaine Johnson. He's getting himself just in the mix every single week, and if they started calling some holds on him, he'd probably look even better, or if he wasn't getting held at all, he'd probably be getting through. But that's how you stop this guy. You got to hold him. You got to do something because Jermaine Johnson is a man on a mission. Then you've got the best pass rusher on the team, Bryce Huff, who gets better and better every single week. Was awesome again in this game. He makes just crazy things happen and constantly is getting pressure on the quarterback. His numbers don't look nearly as impressive as his play looks, the amount that he like disrupts the game in the quarterback's games. But he did get a sack in this game. So really nice game from Bryce Huff again. And then Quinnen, who isn't getting the sack numbers, doesn't have the gaudy stats, but he's getting double teamed a ton, pushes through all the time. When you watch those pockets, there's not a lot of plays that you're seeing Quinn and Williams get beat. You're watching quarterbacks roll out, roll away from him. You're watching guys double team him and stuff, but you're not seeing like a single man just beat up on Quinn Williams. He is making his presence fail on every single play he's out there, and uh, he's elite. Those are the four guys that I think have really separated themselves I think going into the year, we had higher expectations for Carl Lawson, Michael Clemens, you know, getting some more activity out of Will McDonald, the rookie from this year's draft class, thinking that maybe some of them would make some impact. They're not all playing horrible. I'm not saying they're not doing anything, but they aren't separating themselves the way those other players have. The only other player that I think is kind of working their way into that mix of the top four is Quentin Jefferson, who has not been as reliable or consistent as the other players, but he makes his presence felt in every single game getting into the backfield or making a big play. So Quentin Jefferson is having a good season as well. Big Al Woods was on the chopping block, maybe. He was a healthy scratch last week, and the Jets were like, how are we going to work with this big guy who's getting older? But this week he's back in the active roster, and he makes a big play, forcing a safety big time by the Jets getting two safeties two weeks in a row. So it was a good defensive line performance all around. We just, you know, Carl Lawson, Michael Clemens, Will McDonald, if we can start getting more out of those guys... This defensive line is going to be truly legendary, but even with just the the squad of JFM, Jermaine Johnson, Bryce Huff, Quinn and Williams, Quinn Jefferson, like that's plenty good to go to war every single week. And we're seeing Bryce Huff get more and more activity on first down and second down, which he didn't get a lot of in the past. Jermaine Johnson the same. So a lot more trust in the players that we have. We're in good shape on that defensive line. We're also in really good shape when you look at the linebackers. They don't play Jamie and Sherwood all that much. Zaire Barnes is inactive every single week. Chad Surratt, special teams only. But those two guys that are playing, C.J. Mosley and Quincy Williams, holy smokes, they're good. C.J. is playing at a Pro Bowl level yet again. He's doing awesome things every single week, making great tackles, covering pretty well, getting after the quarterback. Would have had a sack in this game if there wasn't a Bryce Hall to hold. But uh, C.J. Mosley is looking great. Quincy Williams, on the other hand, is looking astounding, incredible, ridiculously good. He's looking like he's 100% lined up for an all-pro first team this year with the way he's playing. He's our defensive player in the game in this one. And it's funny, when I gave it to him, I was like, how many have I given him so far? And I don't think he's had a single defensive player of the game uh, award this whole season. 
But every single week, he has been a candidate to get it when you're looking through. You're like, all right, Jordan Whitehead had a lot of interceptions in week one. Quincy Williams had a really good game. Or C.J. Mosley had a really But Quincy Williams had a really good game. Every single week, it's like it could go to Quincy. And this week, it has to because he had two huge sacks, great plays. He did some good stuff in coverage. He had nine tackles in this game, a tackle for a loss. Big tackle on the running back in the backfield, right? But then those two sacks on that last drive by the Broncos who were down by three at that point. And they were trying to get down the field in a, at about two minutes and nine seconds, go about, you know, 50 yards to get a field goal opportunity. Quincy Williams gets one sack on first down, sets him up for a tough spot. They are able to pick up a first down, but then the play after that, he rushes down Russell Wilson, gets a strip sack, knocks the ball out of his hands. It goes into Bryce Hall's return for a touchdown. The Jets seal the game right there. Two big sacks by Quincy Williams. I want to give a big shout-out to Jeff Ulbrich for calling those plays because Quincy Williams is a dog and is making that stuff happen. And Ulbrich giving him, like, all right, it's the end of the game. Who's going to close this thing out for us? And he put his his faith in Quincy Williams to go make not one but two plays on blitzes. And he did great on both of them. Quincy Williams, what a freaking season. Couldn't ask for a better season than what he's gotten so far. And he signed a three-year, $18 million deal in the past offseason. So he's not going to be a free agent until 2026. We have him this year, next year, and 2025. He's playing for $6 million a year? That's a freaking steal. Those Williams brothers, man, they're built different. I love what we're seeing. Cornerback, Sauce was great in coverage. Cortland Sutton was nowhere to be seen. He got a couple really nice pass deflections Sauce did in this game. It was a game where DJ Reed wasn't playing, so Sauce kind of had to step up and be that that real force in the secondary as, you know, Bryce Hall stepping in. You're like, that's a... A dangerous spot to have Bryce Hall on the field. Yeah, kind of scary. So Sauce playing really, really well. I love to see that. He's having a good season. It's it's quiet. He's had some opportunities for interceptions, hasn't come down with them. But at the end of the day, every single week, he does a good job. And every single week, if you look at the wide receiver numbers of the opposing team, other than CeeDee Lamb's one good game, there's been nothing from any of these receivers. So great job by him. Bryce Hall was all right. He did have that one hold. He had the big scoop and score touchdowns. So that was a big play. Overall, he wasn't that big of a liability. I thought there was a scenario where he could be getting picked on over and over again and just exploited. And the, you know, we can't stop this team. And Russell just keeps throwing on the guy that Bryce Hall is supposed to be covering. We don't have another option in the secondary with DJ Reed out. It could have gotten messy. It didn't. And DJ Reed is going to come back into the mix. And Brandon Eccles is going to come back from being injured because those two guys being out is the only reason that Bryce Hall was even on the field as much as he was. He got his big touchdown, had his big game-stealing moment. That's all great, but now we can get back to players that we trust a whole heck of a lot more, and maybe Bryce Hall has built up a little bit of confidence going into the you know, rest of the season. Michael Carter, too, good as always. Safety, I'm fine with Jordan Whitehead. I know what he is. He's a solid player that can make big plays. But when you go to the other safety spot, am I alone in thinking that Tony Adams provides literally nothing? I don't want to, like, call the guy out too, too much because there's a lot of season left, and I know he's still young and learning, but he was slated to be this great free safety and natural center fielder who could cover and get big plays and make tackles and stuff, and he's never even near the ball. Even when Ashton Davis was playing bad free safety for us, he was, like, always two steps late to the play, couldn't quite make the tackle, couldn't quite get the angle and everything, but he was there. I never see Tony Adams doing anything. I, I can't believe how uninvolved he is. 
And I know there's not a lot of really deep plays, so like, all right, he must be doing something to not get burned super, super deep. But we were getting a whole heck of a lot more out of LaMarcus Joyner at this point last year. And I think that when Tony Adams was out for one week, we got more out of Ashton Davis, and I think we've gotten more out of Adrian Amos this year. He is one of the least impactful players of anybody on our entire defense this season. It's like him and Carl Lawson, who's done less? I got to see more from Tony Adams. If we don't, we have options. We still have trading on the practice squad. We still have Adrian Amos, Agent Zero, who's pretty good. We still have Ashton Davis, who made a big play a couple weeks ago. Tony Adams, you got to step it up. We got to see more. Maybe I'm crazy, but I'm just not there yet. So that's our defensive side of the ball. Going to special teams. Greg had a lot of short field goal opportunities. He went five for five, two for two on extra points. So 17 points came from Greg's leg. That's awesome. He had a great game, but we'd wish to not be kicking those field goals, getting touchdowns. They were easy. He could have gotten player of the game consideration, scoring 17 of the 31 points himself. We also could have considered Thomas Morstead, who had another really nice punting day. One of his punts set the Jets up, or set the Broncos up on their own five-yard line. That's when Big Al Woods got the sack, and the uh, or the safety forced. And that kind of catapulted the Jets to scoring points and got them moving forward, just like it did the week before. So Thomas Morstead setting these big safeties up. Gibson could not have been special teams player of the game. He fumbled the ball two times and was messy. Obviously, the, the shadows in Denver drive me nuts. It was hard to go in and out of the sun the way that he was with the sun setting at like, you know, 5.30. Must have been 2.30 in Denver. It's ugly on the field, and it's tough to do. But you're a punt returner, and you have to do it. And a lot of people are going to play four o'clock games in Denver for the remainder of the season, and they're going to go through the sun, and they're expected to catch the ball. He also caught the ball on one, and it was stripped out of his hands when he was trying to make a return. So we always talk about rookies make rookie mistakes, and rookie punt returners muff punts and fumble. He did it twice in this game. Luckily, it didn't cost us too, too much. Jets were able to get the ball back, but he's got to get those balls. Can't be dropping them. Hopefully, this was just one anomaly game where he now, all right, he puts in an extra three hours catching punts this week after practice every single day, and he never has issues like that again. That's the dream. The actual special teams player of the game is going to blow your mind because it's the first time he's ever suited up for a game for the New York Jets. First snap he's ever played. And that's Irvin Charles, the wide receiver. He was brought into this game, honestly, because he's a pretty good special teamer. He's been in the mix for the Jets for the last two years in the practice squad and playing in training camps because he's been a pretty good receiver. Preseason looked good. Training camps looked good as a receiver. But we know that Brant Boyer really likes what Irvin Charles provides as a gunner and in the coverage game on special teams. In this game, he had a forced fumble on a punt coverage tackle that even if he didn't force the fumble, it was going to be a beautiful gunning job where he got right downfield. And a guy that usually, when you have your gunner, typically like you expect them to miss the tackle, but make the return man take a step back and not move forward right away, not accelerate. And that gives everybody else in your defense a chance to get there and make the tackle. The first gunner is just supposed to like get there and slow him down. Irvin Charles got there, made a beautiful tackle, and punched the ball out and provided this just huge moment for the Jets special teams unit. And it was all him, and it was his first game playing with the Jets, and it was awesome to see. And if he can do stuff like that, that's going to be huge for us. We've always had, like, Justin Hardy, who's not really any other position than special teams. He's technically a corner, but he's a special team specialist, and that's really all he does for us. I always kind of envisioned Ashton Davis working into a specialist role, but it hasn't really come to fruition. 
in any of these years, maybe Irving Charles is the guy that Justin Hardy can pass the torch to that doesn't really have another role in this team, can play some serviceable wide receiver when you need him to. He can try to develop that game slowly throughout his career. He's really young. But can just be like a special teams force and keep doing stuff like this, getting downfield, gunning, making tackles, making plays. That's what you got to see. Awesome, awesome first game for Irvin Charles on special teams. He is our special teams player of the game. So that is offense, defense, and special teams. I'm bummed we didn't get a father time for this one, but we did have a fun what's on tap. We were able to take flight. Um, Jets won this week. They're two and three. They're back in the mix. I mean, we're playing the Eagles upcoming, which is definitely a hard matchup. It's one of those games like you expect to lose it, which would kind of suck to go to two and four, but like what if you could steal it and go to three and three and then your team is like, now it's like you didn't lose to the Patriots or something. Like you make up a game that you should have lost and it covers up a game that you should have won. And that stuff means a lot in the grand scheme of things when you're looking for playoff positioning. And right now the AFC is wide open. So big game upcoming. I'm going to talk about that on the upcoming podcast Thursday morning coming out an Eagles preview. So tune into that one to hear predictions for that game an AFC look up or check in and then, uh, you know, some Eagles preview. That's all I got for this podcast today, though, recapping the Broncos game. Jets win 31-21. They lose Elijah Vera Tucker to another Achilles, but we get to celebrate this week with another win. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 